0: Church, Charlotte. My title today is this, Who Gets Your Goat? Uh, This whole month, we're focusing on what it means to have healthy families, healthy relationships, and healthy marriages. I want to make a point here that this is not primarily, um, well, it's not only applicable to a person inside a marriage relationship. Now, February is the month for lovers, as we say, and it's appropriate for us to take a month like this and be intentional about having a God-ordained, God-anointed marriage. Can I have a big amen? It's the will of God. Uh, It's very difficult for you to have effectiveness in the kingdom of God if your private life is in civil war. Um, I am v- very rare for that to happen. And and when the cases where it does happen, where someone is anointed uh, for ministry, for anointing, but they're private relationships are in disaster, or shall we say, civil war, uh, it is usually the case that you are exposed to some weaknesses, some some temptations, some potential errors that you should not be exposed to, which actually increases your risk of ruin. Uh, You would have been stronger with someone supporting you. You would have been stronger with someone taking your side. You would have been stronger with someone looking out for you. Woe to the individual who falls when they are alone and there is no one to help them get back up. I do want to acknowledge that there is a potential place and anointing for spiritual single adults to allow the presence of God to fulfill some of the roles in their life that a typical uh, matching of relationships might would feel. The Apostle Paul is clear about this, and he does not stutter. Uh, You are not a lesser believer or a lesser worker or a lesser, um, how shall we say, spiritually anointed individual if you are single. Uh, In fact, there are certain opportunities that are available to you even in a greater way when you are single. If, if, and this is a big if, you can give the whole of yourself to the Lord, but as long as you have a tremendous pull of the things of the flesh, uh, that can serve as a weakening. And as Paul says, it's better to marry than burn. Um, I won't exploit that even though all of our children are next door. uh, I am not primarily seeking to teach or preach this spiritual principle today in the context. Uh, of marriage. I will deal with some marriage issues, but I'm really talking about something more important than just marriage, relationship, and family. I'm talking about a spiritual principle that I, if the Lord will help me, I want to convey to you that you can integrate into your spirit because it is so fundamental that it is part of Old Testament symbolism, Old Testament sacrament, and so we are going to to get to that in just a moment. I want to start, however, by confessing that anytime we do life with someone else, there is a difficulty involved, whether or not that is a marriage relationship, whether or not that is a even a sibling relationship, whether it is a spiritual brother-sister relationship. Once we decide to do life one with another, we have to have an openness and a willingness to be reconciled one to another. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is an acknowledgement that you're different than me, and it's okay. I want you to try saying that with me today. You're different than me, and that's okay. You see, reconciliation is God removing the middle wall of separation between the people of God. It wasn't just the veil of the temple that was removed or torn asunder. It was also the middle wall of partition, and Christ has become our reconciliation, not just between earth and heaven, not just between our hearts and the heart of God, but one to another. It is no accident that the cross is a living symbol of a connection to God and connection one to another. It is no accident that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your brother, your sister, as yourself. If you could integrate that spiritual truth into your life, it would almost be as though you had no need for law. You would be complete in the heart of God. You would have no need for uh, the prophecy of Scripture. You would be complete in the heart of God. Jesus says, not this preacher, Jesus says, all the law and all the prophets rest upon this greatest of spiritual commandments, understandings, truth, uh, connection to God and embrace of others. If you do life with other people, there's going to be some difficulty to it. You're going to have to acknowledge their difference from you. If you have to try to make them like you, what you will do is always be a source of division in the body. If it's not okay for them to be different than you, then you become a source of division in the body. In fact, if you have a heart where you need to judge them in order to pursue some pretend purity that you have decided you are worthy of, you are a division among the body, Everybody starts from a different place. And it doesn't matter where I wish you were. The only thing that matters is where you actually are. And the only step that matters is the next step that is available for you to take. All other steps are a waste of everybody's time. So what, my brother? My sister, is your next spiritual step? And when are you going to step out of the boat with Peter and say, If that's you, Lord, bid me come, take a step of faith. Well, I'm not preaching about Peter in the boat. I'm preaching about being reconciled. So they're different than you. Christ has removed these differences in the temple. And before that, in the tabernacle plan, there was divisions between Jew and Gentile. There was divisions between men and women. There was divisions between priests and men. All of these divisions have been removed. And now we, if you want to be theological about it, we refer to the universal priesthood of the believer. That means all the divisions within the house have been removed, and I am reconciled to you. I may do some things you don't do, but whatever I do is my worship to God, and whatever you do is your worship to God, and our goal is to be led by the Spirit so God can convict me. Yes. And God can convict you. Am I preaching in the right church? Should I, did I make a wrong turn this morning? I guess it's natural to get quiet when you're talking about God convicting you. But honey, I love you, but some of you need to get convicted by the Spirit of God. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, if we do anything with one another, it's hard to deal one with another, but it is part of becoming the body of Christ and honoring the spiritual potential of the body of Christ is to have an openness one toward another. Now, this whole month, we're talking a lot about marriage, and I was uh, came across a little bit of trivia I thought was interesting. When you think of people who have been married the most, uh, some famous names come to mind. Some of you history nerds think of King Henry VIII. He was married six times. Uh, some of you uh, movie nerds think of Elizabeth Taylor. She was married eight times. Or the actress Zsa Zsa Gabor. She was married nine times. Uh, but that's not that's small potatoes compared to some people. You know the man who is married more than anyone else. He claims the title as the man as the world's most married individual uh, is a, a guy by the name of Glenn Woof. Glenn Woof. And uh, he was married not 10 times, not 12 times, but uh, 29 times. Jesus take the will. 29 times. Uh, some of those marriages lasted days and then came to an a, a end, and some of them lasted years. And there was an article, or a, uh, this was story was told in a book entitled The God Conversation. Uh, and in the book, The God Conversation, they tell his story. They even uh, talked to some psychologists about it and how it might have been that he experienced it. And uh, psychologists explain it some version of this. Um At first, there is this uh, degree of excitement and hope. Uh, He sees his wholeness in that person. Uh, Whatever it was he was lacking is envisioned in that person, and then they get married. And after marriage, there can be, in lots of people, uh, some sense of buyer's remorse. Now, if you want to know about buyer's remorse, talk to my wife. Um, She can talk to you a lot about buyer's remorse after marriage. That's funny. I don't care if you'll laugh or not. And so he, he went through the natural experiences of my whole world is made whole in you. And then after that, a kind of buyer's remorse. This is not quite as good as I thought it was going to be. And because he had no ability to see his future beyond the feeling of the moment, he would end the marriage, and the result of that was he was married 29 times. How did his life end, you might ask? Uh, He had uh, 29 ex-wives. I I have no idea how he paid the light bill, but moving on from there, 29 ex-wives, and he reportedly fathered over 40 women, uh, not women, that would be uh, difficult, uh, 40 children, and uh, many of his ex-spouses were alive when he passed. He died penniless, but more tragically, he died alone. Wow. 29 marriages, 40-plus children, he died alone. Whatever it was he was looking for, the right path to find it was not the emotion of the moment. Man, that's some fine preaching. I have to say amen to myself. Whatever it was he thought made it worth marrying someone over, the emotion of that moment was not it because though he tried 29 times at the end, he died alone. It's actually worse than that. Uh, His lifeless body went unclaimed at the county morgue for months. He had so completely severed his connections. Once the relationship did not fulfill an imagined Solution in his life, he so completely severed the relationship that he went unclaimed for uh, months at the county morgue. And when someone did claim uh, his body, uh, they were uh, surprised to notice that on his forearm was a large tattoo of a tied knot representing marriage. But here's the problem. It shouldn't have been a tattoo of a tied knot. It should have been a tattoo of a untied knot. Uh, Marriage is hard for everybody. Relationships are hard for everybody. Getting along with your family. I got an amen from Pastor Don over here. He's like, my family's crazy. You don't even have any idea. (laughs) My brother lives on a mountaintop and grows the righteous herb. You don't even know. You don't even want to know. My family's crazy. Okay? He's like, my God, preach it. I never heard it like this before. His wife's over here like, oh, pray for my husband, pray for my husband. Getting along with people's hard. Working together is hard. Road trips together are hard. Vacations together are hard. But it's worth fighting for. Good relationships between parent and child is worth fighting for. Commitment to a spouse is worth fighting for. Commitment to a church is worth fighting for. I know church people who leave churches about like this guy married. As long as they like the song, like the preaching, like the level of the sound, like the temperature, they're committed. But as soon as something doesn't happen, uh, they decide it's not for them because they had a grand idea of everything serving them, but they had no idea of themselves serving anything. And so it is in the limitations of marriage in our life. I want to challenge all of you with this truth. Uh, it can be difficult, but it's worth fighting for. I want to take you Leviticus chapter number 16. We're going to read it verse number 7. I'm reading from CEV. Hopefully our team will have that on the screen. If not, you just can remember everything I said. I know you have uh, that kind of memory, and I'm glad. Uh, verse number 7, then... Well, let me just take a moment here. Uh, In the story of the history of the Jews, there are seven annual feasts on the feast calendar, and there are four in the spring, there are three in the fall. It begins with Feast of Trumpets, uh, also called Rosh Hashanah, and it goes through from Feast of Trumpets into 10 days of what they call awe, which is 10 days of repentance, soul searching. They start the year out right. fast, you deny yourself. Um, I want to uh, let this year uh, be that kind of a year. This leads up to the Day of Atonement. This is called Yom Kippur, and it centers around a high priest and several sacrificial animals that are observed by the people, and they are part of the ritual, watch, of their redemption. So, I should uh, make one point of I think is ever so helpful uh, talking to anyone who is looking at Old Testament examples and teaching. The point of the sacrifice was not because God needed a theological image to make himself happy. It wasn't for God. It was for the people. You see, all of the sacrifices, all the rituals was not about where God was. Come on now. You see, all that changes, but God never changes. What does that teach you? It teaches you it wasn't for God, it was for the people. So God starts working on you, not where He wishes you were, but where you are. Where are the people? They have 430 years of Egyptian theology. 430 years of Egyptian deities. 430 years of Egyptian worship. That's where God's finding them. And if you look at Old Testament sequences of worship and sacraments and memorials and feast days and sacrifices, it's not about who God is, why. He's going to do away with all that. It's about where the people are coming from. So the next time someone tries to use the Old Testament to criticize God, I want you to have an understanding it's not about where God is, it's about where those people are. He has to start them from Egypt and take them to a promised land where they are going to move from that theological uh, bequest of Egypt into the daily statement repeated of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... That's where God's taken them. But he's starting with them in Egypt. So these images of, of, of the sacrifice, it's not about God. God doesn't need to learn anything. But the people need to learn. And so why was the, the law given that they would learn? So remember that, this image. We're going to read verse number seven. Then you will lead the two goats into my presence at the front of the sacred tent or i will show you which goat will be sacrificed to me one goat is one goat becomes worship and one which will be sent into the desert to the demon aziel After you offer the first goat as a sacrifice for sin, the other one must be presented to me alive before you send it into the desert to do what? To take away the sins of the people. Imagine this. All of the house of Israel have come to the temple on this Yom Kippur. They are celebrating their redemption. And here the priest, the high priest, is going to do a ritual act of worship which is not for God. It's for the people. It's going to teach them something. God doesn't need to learn anything. They do it to the Lord, but it's for them. Do you see? It's going to teach them something. And what does the high priest do? First, he offers sacrifice for himself. Uh, He takes the bull that is commanded and he offers the bull as a covering for his sins. And this gets him in a place of redemption. Now he is able to act as a intercessor for the people of Israel and offer these goats before the presence of the Lord. Remember, this is not about God's idea of perfect theology. This is all going to be done away with. It's about where the people are and how we can lead them from the deities of Egypt into a a land of promise, a place of destiny, and here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You see? So here they are going through these rituals for them and they see this priest offer this bull as a covering for his sins and his household, uh, the Levitical priesthood. And then you see him take these two goats and uh, lead them before the tent of presence or the presence of the Lord. And uh, he has them here. And one of them, a lot is going to fall on. And that, that goat is offered as a sacrifice, as a worship offering unto the Lord. And the other, watch, is going to to bear the sins of the people. Quickly, The temple is the place where heaven and earth merges together, where the line between the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit begins to become symbolically blurred, where we have a place for sinners, but we also have a place for Shekinah, do you see, made possible by a mercy seat. And here is the merging of several different realms. You have heaven and earth colliding, and the priest has done everything uh, he can do. He has dressed Himself perfectly. Garments, linen, headpiece, everything that is symbolically given to him to mean something to himself. And to the people and if you were to find some of the ancient writings of this you would read um, for example, one of them is a, uh, a letter to a uh, this is a firsthand account of the high priest in action uh, to Ascers uh, this is the reading it was an occasion of great amazement to us when we saw Eleazar engaged in his ministry and all the glorious vestments including the wearing of the garment with precious stones upon it in which he is vested, there the priest's appearance makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. A man would think he had come out of this world into another. I emphatically assert that every man who comes near the spectacle of what I have described will experience astonishment and amazement beyond words. His very being transformed by the hallowed arrangement on every single single detail. That is a Jew uh, writing uh, many, many years of this moment on the Day of Atonement. Um, and so you have this place of heaven and earth merging you have a priest covering his own sins. Now you have a priest standing as an intercessor before God. And there's two goats. God takes one of them as worship. And on the other, watch what's going to happen. The priest is going to lay his hands upon the goat. You can read uh, verse number 20. The priest is going to lay hands on this goat. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the Most high place, the tent of meeting and the altar. He shall bring forth the live live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. This sacred image of an Old Testament sacrament that was given to those people as a teaching, as a schoolmaster of spiritual understanding. Now, let me get real here for a moment. I started out by confessing the difficulty that relationships represent. I started out confessing the difficulty of marriage, of parent-child relationships, of brother-sister relationships, of brother-sister in Christ relationships. I talked about the difficulty, and then I told you it was worth fighting for. I want to say this to all of you, and uh, it may take you a moment to catch up with me, but it's important for you to do so. And blame the devil uh, for destroying my relationship. But the truth is, um, I am capable of destroying my relationships all by myself. Can I get a better amen from this side over here? I'd like to blame the devil as much as I could. But let me tell you the truth about this old boy. I can destroy a relationship all by myself. There's a lot in me that if it was allowed to run rampant, it would flow through my life like a river of fire and it would destroy everything it touched. There's things in my personality. I know how to play with matches too. I know how to run with sharp objects too. And if I'm not careful, there is everything in me that can destroy that which is valuable in any relationship that I have. I have the potential for rage in me that uh, would perhaps surprise even me. And if I cannot keep that in a place of uh, offering on an altar then it will, I don't need the devil to destroy my relationships. I can destroy my own relationships. I have the capacity within me. I have the temper. I have the selfishness. I have the resentments. I have everything I need to destroy myself. You are more dangerous to yourself than the devil is to you. At least the devil has to go by a hedge and ask for protection before he places, is a hand upon you if you're a believer covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I've watched many believers burn their own house down without needing to blame the devil for it. All the devil did was pop popcorn, sit on the side and say, go get him, tiger. We burn our own house down. And if once you are aware of your own need for redemption, once you are aware of your own capacity for rage, the first thing that begins to happen is there is a working of humility in your heart where you begin to find willingness to both confess your mistakes and to repent for your mistakes. And if you have not done that, then you have missed something fundamental about being in the flesh but walking after the Spirit. Because there is no substitute for repentance in the kingdom of God. There is no substitute in the kingdom of God for coming to an altar and bowing your knee and saying, God, I need you to work on me. Because if it's up to me, I can destroy everything that is good about the gifts of God in my life. This very much applies to marriage relationships, but there's more at stake than just marriage relationships here. If I live selfishly, I won't need Satan to attack me. I'll be my own worst enemy. You can blame Satan if you want to, but what you're really doing is walking with him. You see, when Eve is... Tempted in the garden. Satan doesn't say, Hey, I have an idea. Fall down and worship me. No, he tries that with Jesus because he knows the heart of the Lord is to save. And he tries to trick Jesus if you'll worship me, I'll give you what you want, which is all the kingdoms of the world to be saved. But with Eve, he doesn't have to worry about anybody else being saved. He just dangles before her this temptation that you could become like God. And that's all she needs to live selfishly. And we, like she, serve self. And you don't really need a devil when you're walking with the devil. There is something in all of our lives where we have to turn away from the flesh. We have to acknowledge those things in us that are toxic. They are toxic. So let me ask you all this question. What is toxic in your life? That if you cannot let God work on it, it is going to seep into everything you touch and it's going to at best tar it and make it less beautiful and at worst destroy it like acid and leave nothing left until you are a shell, a a hulk of what you could. Could have been all because you didn't understand how the toxic is part of the human experience. And we need a healer to take this out of us, to purge us, to cleanse us. How does this happen? Well, look at this image here. There is an acknowledgement of the people that they are not who they ought to be. And the priest, representing the people, confesses everything they need to do better on. Every bad attitude, every bitter of heart, every resentment of mind. There's this confession working. I am am placing this here on the scapegoat. That which is good, I'm turning into worship. That which is in me that God can use, I'm going to offer it unto the Lord. Everything good I can do, I'm going to offer it as worship. Does anyone feel that way here today? I wish someone had give me a few moments of praise right now. Say this to the Lord. Lord, everything in me good I offer to you in this life everything I have I want to turn it into worship every blessing upon me I want to turn it into praise every good and perfect gift that cometh down from the father of lights I want to turn it into worship but God I need to be honest here today and I need to say there's some stuff in me that if I don't get it out of me it's going to destroy me What is the toxic that is in you that will destroy that which it touches? We could talk specifically about marriage. We could talk about relationships in a larger sense. We could talk about your ability to be used of God in a body of Christ. All of these represent tension within us. We live together. We do life and ministry together. I have a humor a lot of you don't have, and you have a humor that I don't have. You think things are funny that i don 't think is funny. You laugh at jokes that i don 't laugh at, and vice versa or verse visa, whichever the way it goes. But here is the reality, reality the reality of it. We have to choose each other so God can knit us together. Yes. I have to see the good in you through faith, Psalms 106, that I would see the good of your chosen Lord God. I have to see the good in you. If I just see the bad in you, it allows me to play Pharisee and pretend I don't have corresponding bad in me. Therefore, there's a good me and a bad you, and thus creates a a, a culture of death, a law culture of death, because the letter killeth. Why? It doesn't just apply to the people you don't like. It applies to you, too. And if you are guilty in any regard, you're guilty of the whole law, not just the small detail error of your life. You must have a commitment to seeing the good in one another. And you and I have to make a commitment to apologize when we are wrong. We have to have a commitment to admit when we make a mistake. More importantly, you don't need to be shy about making a mistake. You need to repent of making a mistake. You can't pray through an offense. You stop praying. You go make the offense right, and then you come back and start praying again. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. (laughs) we have to be committed. I have to admit there's stuff in me that's good. It's, it's given to me, my God. It's God's gift. I need to invest that in the kingdom of God. But honey, that ain't all the story of me. There's also some stuff in me. I wish I could say I have a good spirit all the time, but slap me sometimes and see what happens. You see what I'm saying? There's a solid chance I'll slap you right back. I won't have to pray. I won't have to go on a three-day fast. You slap me, I slap you right back. And I'm like, what are we slapping each other for? I don't even know, but Hey, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> Pop off and call me a name, and see where that gets you. Now, if you're in church, I'm gonna have my religious face on. I'm like, oh, bless my brother, having a bad day. Try it in the parking lot. I'd be like, don't you cut me off? What are you talking about? Don't act, don't act too self righteous around here unless your edges start cutting you and the person sitting beside you. What am I talking about? All of us have a part of us that's not the sweet Sunday go to church meeting part and you catch us on a bad day and you will have been told because we will have told you and after we told you, we will tell you some, again, you have to get it out of you. What have you survived that is a curse upon your house? What did you come from that was a curse upon your house? What was a curse to your parents? What is the generational limitation upon you? You need to pray about it. If you're not praying about it, you're not taking it seriously. You can't take something seriously and just talk about it on Sunday. you got to pray about it every day, and day if you're going to take it seriously. What is the heaviness upon you? What is the brokenness on you? Are you a survivor of church hurt? And because of that church hurt, you'll never really f- it's been, you've never felt the same in the presence of God, and now you're judging God because of the crazy person that was in your past? Hear me today. There's some things you need to lay on the goat, and you need to put your hand on the goat, and you need to say, I am giving this to you. This bitterness within me, this resentment within me. And you know what we're going to do with this? We're going to get it out of the house. And everything we have left, we're giving to God as worship. Everything that's good, I'm giving it to God as worship. Everything honorable, I'm giving it to God as worship. What happened to you as a kid, you don't even want to talk about it, so you've learned to cope with it. But be reminded that coping is not the same thing as healing. There are things you carry with you that will serve as a curse upon you. It will curse your relationships. It'll curse your marriage. It'll curse your relationship with the body of Christ. It will limit you, the brother and sister connections in your life. It will damage parents and children, children and parents. It is a curse upon you. This example is not about God thinking goats are cool. It's about giving the people an image that they don't have to be literate to understand. It is an image that lessened the scripture. Schoolmaster is in the image. Here, we're offering this to God. It is worship. It is an offering unto the Lord. But this here, we've got to get it out of this house. We've got to get it. There's some things that we are doing that need to be out of the house. They're going to be a curse upon you. There are some addictions. You don't need the devil to destroy you. He just says amen while you destroy yourself there are some things that you've got to get it out of the house. You've got to lay hands on that ugly goat, and you've got to say, I am getting this out of my life. I confess my sin. I confess my error. I confess my bad attitude. I know my parents had this problem, and I got it from them, but it's going to end with me. My children aren't getting it. The curse is going to end here. I put it on this goat, and we're getting it out of the house of the faithful. We're getting it out of our prayer life. We're getting And out of our church, and whatever we have left, we're given to God as worship. I'm almost done, musicians. You can come. As a practical story, I want to share with you. I've told this before, but uh, back when I had several business ventures running and I was also pastoring, I was I was working myself crazy. There's a part of me that loves that. That's why I got I did it. There's a part of me that if I'm not miserably busy, I'm not really happy. Um, but that's not a healthy part of me. Um, that is, represents a, a, a not healthy part of me because it's a form of a crutch of me dealing with the issue of whether or not I'm ever going to be enough. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Is that too vulnerable for you? Let's create a culture of vulnerability here because I wrestle with this that I'm never going to be enough. I'll put more and more and more and more on myself because the truth is I haven't dealt in prayer with the issue that I am who God says I am. So I have to go back to prayer, and I have to say, God, who do you say that I am? Is this something you've put on me, or is this something I've put on myself? You see what I'm saying? All right, not preaching about that. I just gave you that at a discount rate. You'll see the markdown on your invoice, okay? Um, But I was super busy. I was working crazy. If you think I'm exaggerating just talk to my wife sometime and ask her about those years uh, when I was working, uh, working like that. And uh, I, I realized a capacity in myself that's in uh, many of us, but I'll just speak for myself, uh, and that is oftentimes I would have so much repressed frustration from my day that when I got home, I, I couldn't get rid of it easily. I couldn't just lay that repressed frustration down. And so I caught myself bringing it into the house, and um, there my wife, who didn't deserve it, who wasn't the source of it, or my little boy at the time, Time. He's a big boy now, but a little boy at the time. Uh, they didn't deserve it. They deserved uh, the best, uh, Nathan. They didn't deserve the survivor, Nathan. There's a lot of stuff in business that is not pleasant. There's a lot of crooks. There's a lot of people who cheat you. They'd, they'd rather climb a tree and cheat you than be honest standing on the ground. That's just how who they are. It's like a game they play. It's like Dig Dug or Pac-Man or Donkey Kong. They just want to just bump, <laughs> smash your barrels all day long. And so uh, I, I realized that that was coming out there. And uh, I soon, convicted, recognized that there was nothing healthy about it. There was nothing but toxic uh, coping in that. And so uh, right where I parked my truck, there was a tree right beside where I parked my truck. And I'd come home at the end of the day, usually after last meetings or whatever, come home, I'd park my truck, I'd get out of my truck, and there was a tree right there. And I called it my cursing tree. Now, it's none of your business if I ever actually used any curse words. That is none of your business. A brother can talk to himself all he wants to. He doesn't have to get your permission. So I may or may not have cussed the tree a couple times. Don't tell my mom and dad. They're going to heaven. The rest of us are 50-50, okay? They're going to heaven. Um, I got in the habit of getting out and I I would try to find all the negativity in me. I would like to do a quick scan. The anger, they told me they weren't paying me for that. They didn't show up. They said they'd be there. All this frustration. And i try to visualize it in me as this kind of brooding curse, this witch's brew of frustration and anger. And then I would just give it all to that tree. I'd give it all to that tree with the hope that when I walked in the house, I would have left it with the cursing tree. And sometimes I'd lay my hand on that tree and I just pour it all in that tree. Well, two years later, that tree died. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know what, but that tree died. It died so bad and I kept cussing it. And then finally, the roots rotted and I, I kept, I, 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 was talk, I was asking my wife about it. Eventually, the roots rotted and the thing just kind of half fell over because it had dry rotted in the bottom of it. That's, that's, that's a fun little not too serious illustration of how the toxic part of you is like a poison, that if you're not careful, it's the people who don't deserve it, that you force to take it. That's how some of you were abused as a child because your parent did not know how to deal with the toxic in their life, and the pressure grew, and it had to come out somewhere, and here you were helpless, defenseless, did not deserve it, and so this toxic sludge is given to you. There's a better plan here. And the Lord wants to show us a simple lesson. It's so simple that even if you have, in your formative experiences, Egyptian polytheism, Egyptian worship, absurd gods of flies and bulls and frogs and lice. Yes, Egyptians have all that. And God's trying to get you straightened up. Aren't you glad God starts with where you are, not where he wishes you were? And God's going to try to teach you something. And he's moving you from all that ignorance back to this land is the land God gave me. I am who God says I am. And hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the Lord's going to try to take us and make sense of all this and get us to this point. And he gets this image. Here, two goats. One of them is going to be an offering unto me and one of them, all the junk, all the toxic, all the coping, all the hatred, all the rage, you're gonna lay your hand on that thing's head and you're gonna put it all on that and then you know what you're gonna do? You've gotta get it out of your life. You've got hear me today somebody you've got to get it out of your life I want to say to this side of the church you've got to get it out of your life it's going to kill you you've got to get it out of your life lay your hand on that goat's head and put that pain that suffering those tears put it on that thing you've got to get it out of your life Christ has made a way where we can come into his presence And we can pour upon him our spirits. And he will take these broken, damaged, scarred hearts of ours. And when he's done, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the old is gone and the new has begun. Stand with me all across the house. Lord Jesus, you see every heart that is here today. You see where we are. Lord, I'm praying for the individual who... They came today, but they weren't really expecting to like, you know, be vulnerable in your presence, but they need it. They are aware right now as your spirit convicts them, they are aware of the toxic sludge that life has filled them with. Lord, I'm praying that they would not be able to just slip away unstirred. I'm praying, God, that they would, if nothing else, begin with repentance, and they would ask for a divine washing of body, soul, and spirit, O God. I'm praying today, Lord, that we would be in some way aware of how the things of this world destroy and how the temptations of the flesh, the lies of the enemy, all combine. They conspire together to work destruction in our life, the conception of sin in our minds and in our hearts. We've got to get it out of us. We've got to get it out of our church, oh God. We've got to get this toxic, this pain, this coping, this suffering. We've got to get it out of our families. We've got to get it out of our marriages. We've got to quit living it in front of our children, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you will admit I've been preaching to you? listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurch.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.